fatherhood. It's how we keep our tribes and families strong. You've landed in the right place if you're ready for dad jokes, tips, and tricks on fun parenting. Also with interviews with some of the coolest dad entrepreneurs we could track down and have them share their strategies to tackling it all in business and life on The Dad Next Door. And now, your host, Mr. Dad Jokes himself, (laughs) Jason Centeno. What do you call a superhero that's worked out too much? Never heard this one, so don't know. Thor. <laughs> that is appropriate. That is the yeah, appropriate. It's appropriate. This is the appropriate case for anything related to Thor superheroes as we're surrounded by them. Iron Man, actually. There you go. Yes. So I'm all about what you just did. Very, like very it. sneaky there, Mr. Kirby. <laughs> so, Patrick, so for the people out there, maybe you're just tuning in for the first time. I help dadpreneurs, entrepreneurs, people with big ideas, turn them into a reality through technology. If you got a tech idea, I'm going to come in, work with you. If it's good, develop it. And at the end of this process, you can either go away with knowledge of like something you need to work on about it and then bring it back if you want, or we partner. That's the ultimate goal. Uh, Obviously, we're looking for things that are like going to do good in the world. Um, Do good better. There you go. We'll steal your line for a minute. I wanted to introduce you guys to Patrick because he does something that nobody thinks of as fun or sexy. You might have it in your head as, I hate to say it, but like begging. Like you're begging for money. You know, don't bother me. You know, unfortunately, that's the (laughs) the feeling people might get from some of these guys. But you are definitely of a different vein and your whole way of how you've crafted your personality and your excitement and, and exuberance about what you do and what, and the good you do for people like that is what really hooked me on. Like, I got to get you on the show. So we're going to ask a few questions. Um, how did you, okay. First of all, how'd you become an entrepreneur? Because obviously you're, Full-time fundraising is not like a nine to five. Well, it couldn't be a nine to five, but like you don't work for some corporation or some bank. You work for yourself. So talk to us about how did, how did that happen? Great question. First of all, thanks for being, uh, to have me on the show. I've been, again, I've been waiting for this for like months. Like you and I talked like literally three and a half months ago and I've been jazzed about being on the show forever. So I appreciate you uh, having the formal invite uh, being on. I started this because I, as a, uh, as a professional funder, it's been doing this for like 15, 16 years. When I was uh, working at my last uh, big boy job, I was asked to mentor a couple of small and medium-sized nonprofits who didn't know what the hell they were doing, right? So you're not, there's no degree you can get. There's no college you can go to that helps you figure out how to fundraise. It's just not, you can be a fundraising manager. There's no hustle university for this? No, no, there's not. So you've got to learn this by just doing it. And most people are, as I like to refer to them as accidental fundraisers, right? They go to a nonprofit, they're the marketing person, they might be like the whatever, and they're forced to fundraise because either they're growing or like somebody's going to go, hey, uh, uh, Jason, I'm going to need you to go and raise money for this. But like, there's no roadmap, there's no like framework, there's nothing. So you just fly by the seat of your pants. Everybody gets frustrated about it. And I was asked to mentor a couple of groups that were just at that point, right? There's small groups. They don't have a lot of cash. They don't have a lot of manpower, but they were expected to raise money or they had to raise money to keep the doors open. And I loved mentoring some of these groups. And I love that light bulb moment where they're like, hey, that actually makes sense. These basics of the basics actually make sense. I decided, I'm like, there's got to be a market for somebody to come in and teach them this. Well, wait, And there wasn't. Yeah. What's a basic people would miss? Like 
like an aha moment. You're like, geez, that was right in front of my face. But that you're always like, they're amazed to hear this, but it's the simplest thing. Like, give me like one of those. Pick up the phone and call. So and I'm serious. This is like the basics of the basics, right? You, you have you know, social media, you've got email and that's an easy way to do it. Like, Hey, Jason, thanks for the, thanks for reading this email. Could you donate 50 bucks? Or you send a social media post and you just hope somebody sees it. The basics are picking up the phone and saying, Hey, Jason, I just wanted to thank you for, uh, for supporting our organization. You've done wonderful things. We've done amazing things with your gifts in the past. We got another campaign coming up. I think we're going to do amazing things. Would it be in your heart or would you be willing to support us again at this, this, this? You're, you're the only one doing it. A, you're number two, you're thanking them and you're not telling them you want money. You're telling them a story to say, hey, listen, sit next to me. Let me tell you kind of where we're going to go. And is this something that you'd be interested in joining us with? Right. It's this journey rather than begging. And I, and I love the way that you, you, you put this out right away, which is most people think fundraising is begging. And good fundraisers and great fundraisers kind of let you sit next to them and kind of you vision. And you say, listen, imagine what we could do if we had unlimited funds to help these kids or help these animals or these individuals for homelessness or, or hunger or whatever it is. If we had all of this, we'd eliminate it. Is that something that you'd be interested in? Because I'm really interested in it, right? And you're now inviting them to help you solve a problem rather than just going, please, sir, may I have some more? Right. But, is, but are those cold calls you're talking about? Just pick up the phone because I'm going to be honest with you. Like when they cold call me for stuff like this, I'm like, nope, nope, no. Nope. And because I don't have a relationship with them now. Exactly. That's why I ask. Because if yes. you have a relationship, you, you only call the people you already have a relationship, correct? Right, right. Okay. And yeah. and really, if you're if you're calling somebody out of the gate, don't ask them for money. If you're cold calling, do not ask them for money. Ask why they support or who they support. Get to know them as a person, for God's sakes. I mean, that's the basics, right? What if you start with a knock knock joke and they're like, "Hello, Mister." Yeah, well, knock knock. Come on, what do you what knock knock? And you get them to, and you tell them a knock knock joke, and then maybe after they giggle about it, then you try to sell them. Maybe that would work. I don't know. I that like would that probably idea. stop me from hanging up right away. But that's just. I me. was. Uh, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that would be actually working. I'm going to change a lot of my tactics based on that one statement. I like that going forward. I was told by a mentor of mine once that you never ask for a major gift unless you know the name of your donor's dog. And I loved it because it means you're asking questions and trying to figure out things and learning about them with things that they actually love and they actually care about rather than the size of their checking account. Because if that's all you care about, people can see through you, right? You you know this as a sales guy too, where if you know that somebody's on the other end of the phone and they're only worried about a sale, you, you can tell right away, right? If they are genuinely interested in you and they say something like, hey, Jason, tell me a little bit about um, what organizations that you belong to. I'm curious to say, why, why do you join some of those? Or I'm curious to see what your family is. And they don't ask you for any money because they're genuinely interested in what you have to say or what to do or kind of how you approach life so that they can match you up with something that they may do. And if they have nothing to match up with you, they go, hey, we're not a good fit. No worries. Hope you have a great day. That's the difference. And I think that takes uh, the audacity of somebody in the fundraising world to say, I need to look at something different in order to build better relationships, to build the ability to have you know larger gifts come at my nonprofit. So how do you go deep when everybody's trying to go broad or treat you broad. In other words, mm -hmm. somebody, somebody calling me up and I, and I, and I get this on, on social media too. Sometimes they, mm -hmm. they start a conversation. Hey, mm -hmm. what's going on? How are you doing today? And it's like, all right, 
here it comes. Like, I don't know where, if it was me, again, I would start with whoever it is that I'm like, maybe the donor and getting to know them and liking their dog photo, like you said, yeah. and just a whole lot of lead up to like the being a fan part. Like I, that's yeah. something I would say, like yeah. be a fan of people you want to actually work with first, instead of trying to go right at them. Cause you feel yeah. like they're up here. It's like, yeah. go look at what they're doing and like something. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing for this show, I, I, you know, if there's dads on this show and they're or like I'm on Instagram and I see them, I'm liking their pictures. Why? Because you're a dad and because you got kids like I got kids. Yep. And maybe even if you were a competitor, whatever, there's always going to be something in there I can like about you because we got that in common. Yeah. So that's where it starts. And then maybe there's a collaboration or something like that. But I'm just mm-hmm. curious in the fundraising world when you're like you're under a deadline and it's like you don't have these relationships yet. Like what's the way like say Joe Schmo coming in like fresh faced. Um, I, you know, you're training this person. It's like, okay, what would you be like the top three things? You said pick up the phone, but pick up the phone with a condition, meaning like you built that relationship first. Mm-hmm. How, I guess, what would be some ninja tactics that you might use to start relationships? I'm going to tell you the audience what yours is, is your infectious energy. I alluded to you as a person who was like a Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers after two you know, cans of Red Bull, while chewing a five gum because you are kind of that energy. And like, there's no way that if I got a conversation, like that was, I'm trying to think if we talked live first or just in a conversation. But once yeah. I, I talked live to you, I think it might've been off a of clubhouse. I forget. But um, once I talked live to you, it was like, dang, this dude, like I just got to get him on because he just makes me, he just gives me energy. Right. Mm-hmm. So that is your superpower from where I'm standing that would make people like make me want to pick up the phone, have a longer conversation, hear about what you're doing. In fact, before we started this interview, like we were just going on and I was like, ah, oh, we got to save some of this for the interview. But like, that's the kind of stuff you bring to it. You just want to, you're just the kind of guy people want to talk to. How do you teach someone else to be that guy that people just want to talk to no matter what? Patience. And I, and I think that's, the, that's a hard thing to do when you're up, like you said, up against a deadline. So it's it's twofold. And actually, you pick up a really good point is a lot of board of directors or a lot of executive directors at nonprofits are going to say, you need to come in right now. Jason, I need you to raise $100,000 in the next 30 days. That's not how this works. Now, you could go find it. You could hustle and hardcore call people, cold call and just kind of drain them into giving you money. But there's probably not going to give you a gift again because it doesn't feel good. So where I differ from a lot of people who say, it's a numbers game, bro, just get up the phone and start calling and blah, 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 and ask. My thing is, yeah, that's great to get a gift, but if that's the only time you get a gift and they don't feel good about it, they're not going to give it to you again. They're probably going to talk a little bit despairingly about you because you don't have a relationship and you don't care. You don't necessarily want to align their gift with something else. Or you might say to yourself, this doesn't feel right. And I'm going to still pursue it. And that feels bad now because then you've got a bad deal between you and it doesn't get this icky feeling. So I preach patience. I say, listen, it takes a long time to get you to build up the rapport to say, hey, Jason, I want you to give me five thousand dollars. What the hell for? Well, I think I've got this uh, this thing with uh, with older animals. We're like, I don't even like animals. Well, I think it's a great cause, whatever. Like if you don't like animals, but I need $5,000, what the heck am I having a conversation with you about? And there's a lot of people who said, no, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing because we need the money. And that is a scarcity mindset that a lot of nonprofits have in, in an abundance mindset, in the, in the mindset in which nonprofits should be is, listen, everybody is not for us. 
and that's okay. Let's go find the people who are. Let's corral them around a great story and making massive impact. And let's them ask the question, how can I help? And that takes a lot more time than we need to hustle and raise this money right now. So it's a shift of the board of directors. It's a shift of the executive director or the organization as a whole that says immediacy is not going to be the way to play this. Your long game is. And, and not everybody's going to have an infectious sort of personality. And that's okay. Maybe that person shouldn't be asking for money. Uh, and, and this takes like a weird personality to uh, have a conversation or be able to weave in and out of topics or wh wherever to, to be relatable. And that's really the best fundraisers are the ones who ask better questions, who listen, who can, who can connect the dots a little better, use improv, tell stories, and be really genuinely interested in other people. I'm genuinely interested in Jason. Because I literally love the fact that, A, you're doing this. I love the fact that you're talking about entrepreneurship and dads. There is a unique brotherhood of the weirdos who decide that this is a good idea. And so I'm genuinely interested in this topic, this show, and everything. So I'm not BSing you by saying I really appreciate this topic of conversation because there's not a lot of us that we can go and say, I need to just bitch and moan for a little bit about how exhausting this is. And so you're giving amazing value. So I'm automatically attracted to what you're offering. And that's the same thing in the nonprofit world. If you're not, if you're not attracted. Now you're just forcing myself upon you. And because I have a deadline and I've got a budget to make, and it feels gross and it feels icky and you're never going to come back, which means I got to work twice as hard to, maze, to raise twice as much money the next time around because you don't have any relationship with me on the next budget line or the, the next budget year. And then uh, you got to start all over. And that's why we have burnout in the nonprofit world and it sucks and it's just overwhelming because nobody's taking the time to build better rapport. Would it be accurate to say, because I kind of got this from what you were just saying right now, that you, you take time to build a culture that's outside of a company and outside of a cause. Like there's, there's something that supersedes it all. You grow that and you nurture that because you can take that with you, that culture yeah. with you. And should you need to go to another cause or another company that comes with you, would that be, cause it's a brand. Basically that's sure. what a brand is. A brand mm -hmm. usually is people will follow your brand, whether you're a real estate agent in Keller Williams or century 21 or whether you work for this stock, you know, stock brokerage or that stock brokerage, they're trusting you. So you take this culture that you've grown and nurtured with mm -hmm. you as you go. That would that be the most accurate way of putting it? A lot of people do that. And that's why major gift officers move from university to university or church to church. Like they move because they've got a uh, they've got this wonderful cult of personality, which is just genuinely interested in people's best interests. They want to see impact and they say, alcohol, I got to roll the decks a mile long because they trust me as a person. Now, if you're an if you're a smart organization, you'll take that enthusiasm and you will in you know make sure that people are not only giving to a Patrick Kirby, but they're also giving to my organization as well. So that even if I leave, they still feel relatable to the organization which they give to. Letting somebody just fly by the seat of their pants because you are you're expected of them to raise money and blah, blah, blah. The risk of the organization then becomes we've now isolated this person. We haven't given them support or whatever. And so now when they leave, we're like screwed because we expected a whole bunch of them. We didn't invest any time into knowing who these people were. 
And now they walked out the door and he took everybody with him. So almost like with horses where you have the racehorse that always wins, you, you got to make sure that while he's still in your stable, you put him out to stud and help create a couple of other winners in there while he's in there. That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. And I think, and, and I think this is in the business world, especially in the nonprofit world, there is not a emphasis on training the next generation of nonprofit leaders. Because and I'll tell you something, the, the average um, career span of a development director in the nonprofit world is 18 months. So it, it be, we, between zero and 18 months, people are going to leave the organization because they feel overwhelmed. There's unreasonable expectations. It's hard work. There's no support. They're, they're, the weight, the financial weight of an organization is on their shoulders and they're going to leave. If you were a smart organization, it's build tactics about what works and then say, hey, listen, teach the next generation to help you. And how can we get you to the next level so that we can train the next generation to take your place and fill your shoes so that you can go on and do great, big, better things. But we still have this you know, army of folks who really uh, talk about the impact the way you do, tell stories the way you do, and have the relationships that you do. That's not being done in the nonprofit world. It's really scary because the amount of turnover that happens here is just unbelievable. This attitude of yours, it sounds like, I mean, you know, this is the dad attitude in all of us. You're trying to make sure that if you leave, you leave a legacy, but it's funny that nobody else cares about that, but you, you're trying to change that. So do you train these or do you, I guess, I guess how much do you fight for that when you're working for someone? You're like, mm-hmm. you know, I come in, I try to teach you these principles. I go up to this point and if it doesn't sink in, then either I'm out, we don't work together anymore. I kind of just throw up my hands, do what I'm here to do mm-hmm. and move on. Like, do you have some kind of process that you kind of lay at their feet and say, okay, here's the second base together? or third yeah. base or anything. Here's my rules. You know, I got to be home by midnight. You can't go through my button on my shirt. Like whatever your rules are just for them to, yeah. to respect how you do what you do. Like what is mm-hmm. that for people? Yeah, it's 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 really a framework to just follow and be consistent with. And, and regardless if I'm sitting there holding your hand the whole time or I'm letting you kind of roam and give you a framework to kind of play in, it's consistency. And if you get distracted by something or that you find another shiny object to go chase after and you're not sticking to the plan that we've developed, inevitably you're going to get off track and you're going to go, well, this didn't work. And so my whole you know, consulting sort of role in some of these nonprofits is just go get the basics of the bait. Remember the basics. Remember the the things that got you there. Remember to plan your work week. Remember to make asks that don't necessarily have to make anything about money. Document conversations, man. Don't don't forget something really important that was really interesting about that donor. Remember to celebrate some of these wins. Remember to send a thank you note. Some of the really the really basic things that mean a lot to a donor or mean a lot to a relationship in general are the same things that you do in the nonprofit world. And if you get distracted about that, well, then you need to get back to the basics or you're just not interested in raising money for the long term. And that's totally okay. So we can move on and not feel bad about it because that wasn't a system that you're really into and you like the frenetic pace of just chasing dollars. And and that's, and that's okay. I'm not mad about it. Um, but traditionally we've got a lot of people and a lot of our clients that just consistently kind of do that, right? We just check in once a month or check in every other week or whatever the case may be, just to make sure they got accountability. Uh, the same thing you would have as a business coach, the same thing you would have as, you know, anything in the for-profit world, kind of what we do in the nonprofit world. Do you have like a, a system that you recommend for them for all this follow-up? Because if somebody's just listening to this, we're like, it sounds like a lot of things. I got yeah. to remember, remember that. Is there like 
I know some people like Active Rain, HubSpot. Like, there's all these systems out there. Yeah. Is there something you kind of put together that you kind of have a template for that you say, here, here's how we do it. Here's yep. your, here's your KPIs, whatever, and like you're following the plan, and here's how to manage your expectations because right here is you know normally like whatever 30 days, you know, it starts to peak and it starts to actually ramp up. Not in 15 days, it, it could be 45 days, but you got to keep these these things running. What yeah. is it that you recommend to these people that whether they take it or not normally? Yeah, it's it's um it's it's one thing a day for five days a week. And it's planning, doing, documenting, celebrating, and appreciating. That's it. So if it's 20 minutes a day, it's 40 minutes a day, it's three hours a day, I don't care. But as long as you're doing something to move the needle forward for donors, because in the nonprofit world, and same thing in the business, right? We wear 10,000 different hats. You're a marketer, you're a salesperson, you're also the HR person, you're also kind of maybe social media, you're a billionaire of the things. But what are you doing to make a relationship better? Are you planning and prioritizing your week to make sure that you get to that one or two people that you really need to have a conversation with? Are you taking action? Are you just planning to plan the plan for the sake of planning? Well, that you'll never grow or you'll never do, right? So do execute and make an ask, right? Make an ask that's not about money. Can I see you again? Can I have another conversation? Can I send you something? Can I get you on an email list? Uh, can I uh, can I introduce you to somebody? Have them say yes to something, right? That's the old Dale Carnegie deal. You get them to say yes to something. And at least that gets you into the door and gives you permission to follow up. Did you have an interesting conversation? Document that for 20 minutes a day. What did you, what'd you have that's rattling around in your brain you got to get on paper to remember? Celebrate wins. You know, whether it's yours or theirs or donors, a community member, whatever it is, spend time relating uh, yourself and celebrating and lifting up others. And then you spend 20 minutes a day on, on Friday writing two or three or five thank you notes or making thank you calls or sending a thank you email or sending a thank you social posts, like whatever you are to do to appreciate, because the next time that you plan to meet with somebody on that Monday, the last thing they remember from you is a genuine gratitude note at the end of the week. You didn't ask them for money. You didn't ask them for business. You didn't ask them for anything else. So it's this framework that you just repeat and rinse and all the time. So you, don't, that, have, you don't, you don't do like, all right. So when, like when you're, for example, in real estate, right, it's like, when you're talking to a seller, if they're not a, a seller, you stay on the phone with them. They say, I forget it. I think it might be any longer than nine minutes. You're, you're on too long. Like there's none of that with this. There's like, no. All you're doing today, you're just calling people and starting a, the phone relationship the next day. You know, instead of five things in one day, you're doing one thing in five days, like yeah. focusing. OK, that's a good way to like break it down, because you're right. It's that overlap of all these things. And whenever they come in, that makes your head spin. And like, totally. oh, I can do it. Yeah. So like, it, it, it overcomplicates things. And I think in, in, in relationships, you shouldn't overcomplicate them. Right. Everybody, everybody thinks like you just said at the top, it, it was interesting the way that you said this. And I'm so curious on your experience where if somebody comes in and says, hey, Jason, I saw you on the podcast uh, or I saw you on uh, Dad Next Door. It's really kind of a cool show. I'd love to get to know you more. Your instinct went to, all right, where's the sales pitch? It was no, it wasn't even that because it's not even that was the difference. Right. It wasn't even I seen you. Or like like the the closest you'll get to that is oh I noticed we're in the same groups like oh yeah exactly that's yeah like too vague yeah. right like yeah that are you open do you leave what what is what's the key phrase everybody are you open to new opportunities or listening yeah, there you to go. new yeah. opportunities it's like 
oh my God, you know nothing about me. I'm all yeah. about opportunities. But if you yeah. ask me that question, that means you already don't know who I am. Yeah. So done. Like that's strike one. And but if but if they ask, like what you just said, mm-hmm. I just checked out the show. You know, I really liked what you had to say about this. You know, I had a question. That is totally different because mm-hmm. Now I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this guy's a fan. Like he could be a fan. I mean, he could be setting me up, but at least he he actually did a little research. He he mm-hmm. came with a he came with a flirt. He came with a, a, yeah. a compliment or something. Not not a old getting ready for the slam bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of yep. thing. So, so if you're so if you're a fundraiser and you want to get into like a bank, local regional bank, right? And uh and you notice that they give to these charities and you think you can get into that. You've got two options. One, hey, can I speak to somebody who gives to, to the uh, charitable uh, groups? Or call up one of the regional VPs who you know that you saw out at a ribbon cutting ceremony, right? And say, hey, uh, Jason, I saw that you uh, were a part of the ribbon cutting ceremony over there. It's one of my favorite places in the entire world. Thanks so much for supporting our community. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'd love to uh, get to know what else you guys uh, do and support. And, uh, and how our organization uh, can work with you to help you and your your giving needs or whatever. There's a dramatic difference between those. And, and the amount of time it takes to do a minimal amount of research and have that conversation or leave that message is so negligible. And yet people go to the easy route of like, Jason, uh, can I talk to the person who gives you, uh, who does checks for community gifts? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody cares about your organization because you've built no real rapport and you're only thinking about how I can get a check. The other route, which takes very little time, but if you are pragmatic about it and you carve out time to do research, to do some uh, some planning or some execution parts, now all of a sudden you're a little more interesting. And you don't have to have a big, bold personality. You don't have to be enthusiastic and talk with your hands all the time on, uh, on, uh, on Zoom calls or on stream, right? You don't have to do that. Yet all of a sudden you are a little more intriguing than the next cold call because you did, like you said, a little bit of research. It goes a long way, man. You know, it goes a real long way. You find out where that bank is, where that guy works. You go in and you open an account and you be like, hey, weren't you at that thing? <laughs> there you go. That's- <laughs> and then you're in the door yeah. like, hey, talk to me about the fun right now. And then, yeah. then you're in the door like that. If I was really determined, that's probably what I would do. It's only going to cost me a couple of dollars in a bank account and go and end it later if you want. But I mean, that, that, I just think that way. I'm more of a sniper anyway. Like I don't try I to go. That. So I like it. Um, talk to me about your dad. I mean, we, you did mention that he was an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, I mean, you did get the spirit from him. It runs in the family. I remember being in high school and uh, my dad was a really successful sales rep. Did, uh, you know, sold the target and Best Buy and that kind of stuff, right? He's manufacturing sales rep. And I remember he started his own business in the middle of me being in private school, all three kids in private school. I go, that was really weird. Like I didn't think about it that way. I was just like, wow, I just saw him slept on the couch for six months because, you know, apparently that wasn't a a cool idea, leaving a well-paying job and and, uh, with three kids in, in grade school. And, uh, and I talked to him about that. It turns out he was doing really well and his boss decided he was doing too well and capped his, had capped his income, right? Didn't say, he said he couldn't make any more money. He goes, well, that's not fair. I'm making you a lot of money. You should continue to pay me commission. He goes, no, nah, you should, you're going to get capped here. And so he basically committed mutiny, quit his job, took accounts, took salespeople with him to start his own company and did it behind total closed doors, went to all the, he, it was unbelievable. Like it was the audacity in the story that he tells is, is unbelievable. Got sued by the guy because uh, it didn't take a paycheck for a year because he couldn't, he's on non-competes, 
but he did it. And, um, and I asked him about that and he goes, I just knew that I was destined to do this and I knew I could do it. And the risk was, am I willing to work for somebody else who's going to tell me what I can and cannot do? Or am I going to define and decide what my fate's going to be, whether I work hard, build better rapport with people, build better relationships and trust that I know this more than anyone else. And that has stuck with me since then. Right. And it's, I think that's the power of dads in, in the sense like that has never left my brain where he said, uh, I'm going to do this. I know the risks. I'm going to take it very humble. I, I think he borrowed money from my, like, it was just, it was a bad, it could have been a bad bet. And he did, but he bet on himself and he said, I know this kind of stuff. So when I took a leap, I referred back to him all the time. I would call him. I said, this is the new plan. This is the business plan. What do you think? Poke holes in it. I'm like, I would refer to him a lot or defer to him a lot because he was just the guy that went through it. And I used his audacity as my challenge to say, this is, this is something I've seen done. I know it can be done, but I got to trust myself. I got to trust the process. And I remember the conversation I had with my wife because we had just recently, I say we in the royal we, like as if I had anything to do with having a baby, but my wife had our, uh, our third child. And then two months later, I said, you know what? I'm going to start my own business. And I, th- I think she thought it was cute. I didn't think she'd think it was real. I said, on my birthday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to quit. It's going to happen. I built everything up and I did. And, uh, and she said, well, what about you know, healthcare? I go, well, we're working out. She's like, no, don't be an idiot. Like we need to figure this out if you're going to do this. Cause you're, you're the, you're leaving a well-paying, like a really good paying job to start something. You have no idea if it's going to work or not. I trusted that whole process that my dad went through. And I said, if I stick to my guns, I know, I know I can do this. I know it's going to be a need. I know it's a niche that nobody's in. That's kind of what I use as inspiration. I still, to this day, uh, deciding how to grow you know, doubling down on some efforts. I use him as that bellwether, that Northern star that I will continue to do. And, and even if my kids don't have the entrepreneur spirit that gets passed onto them, some kids don't, and it's totally fine. Um, I never wanted to be in a position where I could have done it and I didn't. And then my kids would have reflected back and said, no, he could have done that, but he didn't. I, I, even though they wouldn't have known that or whatever, but that's, I want them to see the audacity of something you can do if you put everything into it. That's what I want to leave. So first, this is not liquor, but here's to all the dads that had to sleep on a couch, all the dad entrepreneurs that had to sleep on a couch for six months or longer, chasing their dream that it actually they, they never got compensated back yes. for all that time they spent yes. on the couch <laughs> and all that loving and snuggling they could have had. So here's to you guys, because I think, Every dad entrepreneur has been either sleeping alone or on the couch or some version of that over these same decisions. Um, so, so respect number two. So re- regarding the kids, you said, so are any of them looking like they want to follow in your footsteps right now? Or is that they're still too young? You know, you can, t- they've all got their wonderful personalities. And this is what I love about being a dad. You can kind of point out like who's going to do what. And um, my oldest has the best personalities uh, uh, of my wife and myself, which is just uh, that kid's going to be hilarious. He's overly emotional, hard headed. Like he's just he's going to be great. And he's going to do anything that he sticks his you know, brain out. The other one is going to be one of those silent leaders. You know, he's, he could be loud if he wanted to, but he's going to be kind of that methodical one. My daughter is going to rule the world someday. So look out, like get to know. Get to know Willow because she's going to 
be your boss someday. And I apologize in advance because she's going to be a, a, a freaking bear and I love it. She's going to take no crap from anybody. But you can kind of tell that, again, I know a lot of dads that don't have uh, an entrepreneur mindset. And it's not like there's a, nobody's better than it. It's just, I, I could never be in a position where I'm taking orders from somebody else anymore. I, I, I cannot do that anymore. I've, I've, that's eliminated from my ability uh, as, a, as a business person. And I kind of see that in a disregard for rules that they think are dumb. Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken a disc score where, you know, you sort of like rank yourself in the personality score. And I'm like a high I, which means I need constant praise and adoration to do something. But I am compliance. I'm a low. Like I don't I see rules as meant to be broken because they are broken in themselves. And as frustrated as I get with my kids who don't like dumb rules, there's a part of me going, ah, you're going to you're going to crush it in the entrepreneur game because you're going to figure out the loopholes. You're going to figure out what doesn't work and you're going to figure out and you're going to do your own way of uh, doing it. Well, and when you're dealing awesome. with them right there, you can't let them know that because you exactly <laughs> you got to put that part. on and you got to, you know, there's this mask of like, no, you ain't getting yep. away with that. And you're not getting away with that. Like, oh yeah, I can see you got, you got, you got what it takes, but I just can't let you unleash that dragon right now. God, yeah. Isn't that right? Oh my God. Even, even like in routines, where they see routines and they almost see them as boring. And I'm now in this bad mode. I don't know about you if you're in a routine. Like, what's your morning routine? I got a question for that because I love. This is like, what, this is what the next question I was going to ask. Oh, you. my God. <laughs> right now. I was ready for you, too. That was the next question. So mine or yours? Who do you want to? I want to hear yours because I love I love dad routines. I mean, like I get up at five a lot of times and sometimes I might slip back into a coma for an hour, but I try to get up. I'll do some yoga. I'll read. I'll get my mind right for a while before they get up. Um, you know, read devotion, um, journal a little bit, like I said, the yoga and then, you know, on and off. And then, you know, just kind of like prep my mind for the day. They come down, they go to, they go to get ready for school. Um, there's a little dance around when we get to exercise, whether my wife goes to run or whether I'm going out. And my daughter's up and we're kind of entertaining that. So um, I don't know. I guess I, I, I kick it into high gear, maybe around 10 o'clock, start to kind of work. Uh, if I have a class that I have to teach or uh, some webinar or whatever, mastermind, like going on, then I'll, you know, I, know, I normally do it earlier in the day between 11 and four is kind of when I take any kind of calls for like the, uh, the dad lab stuff or any kind of consultation calls. That's kind of what's there. Um, and then I kind of just try to shut it all down by about four. There are a couple of night things that I do, um, a Tuesday night mastermind. And then like, this is Thursdays, which I'm like, I was discussing, I was kind of, kind of move it over, but you know, just, there's just flexibility there. And then to be honest with you, um, dinner, hang out with the kids for a while. And I'm be honest with you, I, I'll go to bed when they go to bed these days, God, cause that'll be my wind down time. Like they're in the bed, they're they're finally there. I could be as early as 8 39 o'clock. I don't care. I go down because I get up early, but I that's my kind of wind down time. And that's that's my routine kind of right there. I love that. I'm my wife's not a morning person, so I'm the morning person. So I'll get up. It's immediate like sleepwalk to the coffee machine, start that out of the gate. And then it's, uh, I'll make breakfast with the kids. So I'll start whatever, like it's literally, it's breakfast meats or it's eggs, get a protein in there, make that, wake the boys up. I'll send a dog down, put them in the bed, go, hey, get your butts upstairs. Upstairs, 
flip sausages or flip breakfast meats, go to my daughter's room down the hall, wake her up. She's not going to get up for at least 10 minutes. Go back, suck down a cup of coffee. Boys are finally up. Plate, get daughter in there, dog out, dog fed. Now I can finally take a shower while they're eating. I know damn well they're going to have a fight at some sort of thing. My wife is still sleeping, by the way. And I got 12 minutes from the time that I'm out of the shower to get dressed, to get their butts out of the door, to the bus stop, on the bus, grab my daughter, put her in the car, go to daycare, and I'm on my way to work. Every more, it's, It is routine in the morning. Like That is the bit in the morning. And I know that my oldest knows that it's a routine and likes to mess with it. And he is a jerk for it. And I ugh. see a guy like you, I would think you would have like some kind of contraptions. Like you would pull a rope and all, yes. all the lights would go on and all the sheets would get yanked off the bed so that I they're cold it. and not comfortable. Like my pop used to do that to me. He'd come in, he's like, ah, and he just ripped yep. the whole thing. The bed, the beds, the, everything's yep. on the floor. So yes. you're going to be cold. You're not going to be comfortable. That's I love the it. Well, that's, but, um, I do the exact same thing. I, I will throw a lit. I will throw our literal dog onto their bed. And I'll shake the one in the top bunk. I go, God, get up. And then I'll leave the dog and I'll get her all riled up and I'll run. Because I they'll t- she'll take care of the rest. And I wish I had an automated thing. Like a bone would go down the stairs and then go into the bed and then be under the covers. And she'd go, get, yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. I got three of them that are morning people and three that are not. So it's kind of like a weird. That thing. is weird. Yeah, it's just like some look like yeah, smiling and happy. And the other one's like, yeah, all the whole time. And then they start to pick on each other and it's. It gets tricky, but you know, so what does your best dad life look like? It's on the golf course with my, with my boys. I remember, I remember golf with my dad for the first time. Like I, my dad and I golf and that was our, that's our thing. Like I'll go and sit in the golf cart and we'll talk about, you know, dumb stuff and, you know, download on, you know, whatever. I remember him teaching me how to play and I'm now teaching my kids how to play and sit in the golf cart and just kind of do etiquette like that. And it's just, it's such a cool bit there um or driving my daughter to and from daycare and we will listen to literal heavy heavy death metal in the car she loves it she loves girl led she loves girl led heavy metal bands so she will ask for we get out of the driveway and we go and she's like daddy daddy play baby metal and i was like all right we're playing it and we'll play japanese pop j-pop death metal all the way to school. And she just in the back, she's like this. She's like, dad, I like this because they're girls. Girls could do rock and roll. And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, they can. And they're just like, that's the best with her boys on the golf course. They're my oldest on the golf course, for sure. Middle kid playing video games with them. It's, it's I, cause I'm a big kid at heart and I play video games. And it's uh, each one of them had their own little thing. And it's, it's knowing that and being able to do it now. And I find that to be uh, extremely rewarding that I don't have to have any justification for it. I can just do it. So fun. With me, it's like more random stuff, knowing that if we play tag on the playground, they still couldn't tag me because, I mean, you know, they're fast, but I'm still faster. But not, but me not getting damaged doing it, that's that's always interesting. But I will never, I will never lose to my kid in Mario Kart. <laughs> I will never. I will never. I, I, put, I will put my foot down. I will let them think they're going to win. Never about- win. How about the simpler things like tic-tac-toe or the other ones that are confidence boosters? I still spank them, but I, I at the end, I kind of I get, I give them a couple wins. But they got to learn that lesson, I feel. My one daughter, she's four, but they dig the 80s music, man. They like, they'll, they'll, yes. sing hungry, they'll sing Hungry Like the Wolf at the top of their lungs. You know, they get that. So good taste, I think. 
I think um, it's a great taste. That's the way you need to do it. You've watched Frozen 2 400 times too, right? I The first one more than the second, but yeah, I, I've watched them quite a bit. Into the Woods is my jam because that's literally Peter Cetera ripoff song. And it is the greatest, like an 80s rock ballad kind of bit. And that's the... I, I feel like people are making movies for dads and for adults and they're just throwing in humor for us so we can like deal with it because it gets played 400 times. I think that's Pixar's whole jam since the beginning. So good. We'll figure that out. Smart. Yeah. There's um, a bunch of, that's, that's how you know. This well, is they know the dads pay yeah. for the tickets. Like generally the dads are buying the movie tickets. So they're like, look, and this is a problem I had in one of my businesses. This is a total tangent, but I had a toy business for a little while, like on Amazon. I was, it was like the, 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 what do you call it? The, rainbow bands but it was like all the accessories so i made a whole brand around it whatever but one of the things the reason i kind of stopped it was because it was so difficult i had to educate the the parents on why this was cool but the kids parents don't care the kids want it but they don't got the money so it's like you you have to hit two different people at the same time and i was like it's too much for me to do by myself so i kind of let it go because i was like there's too much education here and, yeah. uh, and i'm split but to that end, they figured out that the dads buy the tickets. So let's give them some sneaky jokes in there. And the old Warner Brother cartoons, the Looney Tunes used to do, they used to sneak in mad. Oh. I mean, they do it in Nickelodeon too, but they sneaked in mad like adult things. And like now you even think about them and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they got by with that. But it was funny. It's funny now. But in Pixar, it's more innocent. But they'll, they sneak a lot of things into these new movies today. And you're just like, man, if they only knew what that meant. <laughs> I love it's the best. It's the best. I like figuring it out and I like finding the movies that have the most amount of dad or like the most amount of adult humor. You're like, oh, yeah. All right. You made this one for me. I feel good about it. That's great. What's one weird thing that most people don't know about you? I play Dungeons and Dragons every Monday night. I tell terrible dad jokes, by the way, as a character in uh, Dungeons and Dragons. That is a superpower. What are you talking about? That's a wizard level sort of thing there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit. I can shoot a longbow. I mean, that's in as in character. Yeah, that's great. I would totally, if I was allowed and it was socially acceptable, I would play like in person role playing, dress up like a wizard, and I would I would have battles. If it was a, if it was socially appropriate and social media didn't exist, I would go out and I would dress up like a knight and I would I would do that. So, so my guy Michael Shine was just commenting about him and his kids. His, his ultimate days. He's playing ultimate frisbee for years with his. And now his 14-year-old daughter is obsessed with ultimate Frisbee. 14-year-old, I guess, son. And he's taught him all throws and catches. Yes. So that's, that's his reward. So good See? job, Mikey. What's your dad kryptonite? I mean, they press your buttons a certain way or just something, yep. that, you know, like they get you over. Like, what's that for you? It's when I know they hear me and they look at me and they do the exact opposite of what I did. But they're making eye contact the whole time and they know it drives me nuts and they know they're going to get a reaction from me and they think it's hilarious until I don't think it's hilarious anymore. It is the, it is the one thing that I cannot absolutely stand. And I know you hear me. how do you handle it? I mean, you just... You I will... Because um, if you keep going to the same move, they're going to just... And I used to tell my wife this, I said, you can't always react to the same thing the same way. You got to keep them on their toes. Yeah. Sometimes you got to totally act like it didn't happen and mm -hmm. confuse them. Other times you got to go hard and other times you just got a delayed reaction to it. Like, remember that time? So that way they kind of, but that's just me. But what do you do to Admittedly, my wife thinks this is a terrible idea. It's probably a terrible idea, but I will, I will start slow and I will repeat what I want to say over and over 
and over and I will ramp up and I will ramp up and I'll get to like number 17 before I finally snap. Cause I feel like, I feel like I'm giving them a runway off and like, listen, at any point in time, before I get to a 12, you've got a chance to save yourself and I'm going to I'll pivot back. But if I get to the 12, now I'm going to actually snap oh, and I go, God. all right, it's over. Everybody loses everything. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that is our house in Tootsie. Everybody oh. goes to bed. Everybody goes to bed. Nobody eats. <laughs> we have every night, and we've done this since my oldest was one year old. We have had uh, read bedtime stories, and we snuggle for a little bit. Ravenous readers in the house. We've got more books than we have anything else in the house. And so we'll always read at night. You know, Willow up top, boys in the in basement, and we'll switch off every night. It's the thing that my kids love more than anything, and I know that. So I will hold that. One reward that I will take away. I go, you're loose stories and snuggles. And they're like, immediately back off. Like, oh, no, don't go scorched earth, dad. This is terrible. And even when I take that away, I hate it. I, it's the worst thing that I take away, even though I know they love it the most. I also do because it's kind of the end. It's same thing with you and your routine, routine at the end. Like you go through the night and that's kind of your come down. That's my come down. I know after that, I get to go play video games or whatever I do to like sort of recharge the batteries bit I get to step into. And it's, it's bad I get to take that away. <laughs> no, no, because you got to use whatever actually oh, I know. feels like a threat. It's like you could threaten like bodily harm. I don't care. I'm taking away the snuggles. You're not going to kiss goodnight. I'm not going to say goodnight to you. Oh, okay, yep. I'll stop. Yep. Yeah, that, that's the weird thing. But like you got to use what's, what's at your disposal. Talk to me about this. Uh, do better, good, better consulting.com. Who do you serve in that? Um, is it people that are learning to fundraise or is it the organizations themselves seeking better fundraisers? Like who are you? Who's your customer there? Kind of both. So small, medium-sized nonprofits, anybody raising less than a million bucks a year is probably ideal client for us. Or it's individuals who work at organizations that raise less than a million bucks a year. You know, whether you need at your own pace coursework, we've got a dozens and dozens of courses, whether you need uh, group coaching. So like, you know, once every other week where you kind of sit around and almost mastermind like group that, uh, that we get together and talk about fundraising and it's kind of a safe space that kind of know it's super important to do. Or it's actual organization, one-on-one consulting we, we sort of built. That, that's what we do. Yeah, I do a lot of speaking gigs. I kind of do a lot of presentation pieces that kind of funnels into that. Those are the kind of three things we do. We've relatively you know, recently gotten streamlined into that. I used to do like everything. Like, oh, I'll do your marketing or I'll do this. And I, I could do it. I don't like it. Didn't really fit the bill. And so we got real niche uh, again on what we do. And it's just at your own pace, group coaching, one-on-one, that's it. You seem to do a lot of like, from the pictures anyway, from like community kind of work, like you're if there's like some kind of contest or some kind of like, you know, maybe it's a street outreach or whatever. Yeah. Is that, is that kind of like where you're, you find yourself the happiest too? Like just kind of being out there and pressing the flesh and like, you know, just almost in a political aspect, like you're doing God's work. Right. Like, yeah. Like that. Yeah. I think that's where, and I I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of have, you know, even pre-calls and stuff like this so that you and I can kind of, you know, be personable together. And I think once people realize that fundraising doesn't have to be scary, you can have fun, you can be enthusiastic and it doesn't like, I can give you the, you're going to be okay. I'm going to give you the tips and tricks. You're going to come on, let's just join the party. It's going to be great. And I think I love that light bulb moment that this is not going to be an alone time. I've got somebody who's got my back. And I think you can only do that in real real time, real moment in the moment in the flesh kind of ways. So anywhere I can go, like today we delivered 
um, Bunt Cakes. We got a, a Nothing Bunt Cakes is a place in town, which is an adorable name. And we delivered we delivered those to um, nonprofit of the year award nominees at our for from our Chamber of Commerce. So there's like 12 of them, and we went door to door around the you know tri metro area. We drove around and delivered these things, and that was so much fun because it's unexpected. Nobody expects you to do that. Nobody's doing that. We say, hey, congratulations on being nominated. We really appreciate you. I didn't make an ask. Didn't talk to them about anything. Here's a couple of business cards. Here's a bunch of cakes. Eat and have fun and celebrate. We're going to celebrate with you. And so I love doing that. I love being at a, a, at events or speaking at events or, or emceeing events where I can kind of be a part of this really fun giving moment. That's what makes this so much fun. You need to realize that you're helping organizations raise money to do good or make impact or help feed the hungry or give shelter to those who don't have a place to live or helping animals find their her forever home or helping kids with developmental disability in your life. Name any other business that you can feel so awesome about every single day, helping people try to raise money to do amazing things. You just, it doesn't exist. And I've made up my own job to do it. And that's where uh, Do Good Better Consulting comes in. I get to be a part of some of these organizations all the time. It's great. Does crowdfunding, because that's such a big hot topic still, mm -hmm. ever come into play where they're like, well, what if we crowdfund this? And I know it's probably not the yeah. right move because usually crowdfunding is it's not just, well, that's called fundraising for a reason. There's just nothing in it for the other person financially. Like mm -hmm. it's not an investment. Yeah. Other than a social investment or yeah. whatever investment of the heart, yeah. do they ever kind of come up with that and say, "Well, what if like what is your opinion about crowdfunding? Does it even would it even work for anything like this?" Uh, it would, but you'd have to figure out. And this is kind of where we teach some of our clients: is like, why are you doing it? Are you do raise a quick buck? Great, it's going to work. If you, it's for a quick buck and you don't have any follow up plan with each one of those donors to say, "Hey, thank you. This is what your donation did." Consider it the one-time gift. You'll never have that relationship back. Or if you crowdfund because you need a an emergency fund for this, or you need to go to the community and say, we need to rally the troops around helping somebody who has got a cancer diagnosis, or we need to help the family. That's, that's a feel-good, in-the-moment sort of thing. If you're an organization that's trying to raise money consistently over the next couple of years, unless you have a game plan to follow up with each one of those donors, crowdfunding is going to be good for a one-time gift. That's it. But when you're talking about like medical bills, uh, emergencies, uh, that kind of stuff it could be pretty beneficial in that regard. You mentioned masterminds, right? So are you in any? A group of us as entrepreneurs that kind of get together all the time and are on constant chats, throwing up ideas that way. I developed kind of a mastermind ourselves in this group coaching sort of thing where it's a space to kind of create and come up with ideas and banter around, hey, who's got a, a problem right away? We need to put a tourniquet on. Who's got a fire we need to put out together? And sort of the collective brain power in general is really one of the best ways in the nonprofit world because they don't talk to each other. Ironically, they feel competitive with each other. And so in order to learn, you have to have the safe environment, kind of like a mastermind where you where you have this trust and really small group that you chat with. So we've kind of developed these, these mastermind groups. So I more facilitate some of them than, than belong to them. Uh, but I have my unaffiliated, definite close-knit crew of entrepreneurs who have uh, bitching and moaning sessions about everything else that has to do with entrepreneurship. And now that I know this dad group exists, my whole life is way better because that's, again, like I said, this niche within, a, within a, um, being an entrepreneur 
is how to maintain dad mode, entrepreneur mode all the time and how not to let it slip in between and how, where to keep that balance. And like, that is the hard, that's one of the hardest things that I've had to learn over the years is that. Based on your schedule, like you got it where you go away to go to work. Like you go yeah. outside the house and it's almost like a nine to five, but yeah. you did it that way on reason. And then you're home on weekends where yeah. other guys or myself included, it's like, we just find the times in between and, you know, it's up to you and your discipline and your hustle. And yeah. sometimes, you know, plates drop, you spend so many plates and some of them are going to drop. So, well, what I was going to say, you mentioned just, just to let you know, like there is, we did start a dad group. It's, it is a mastermind. It's like this accountability group. So I'll, I'll shoot you the link. It's a, it's another yeah. entrepreneur, dad entrepreneur. He's out of Canada. His name's Jeff Lopez. And he put together this decent like online system where you just go through everything and kind of check off the boxes. And then you get on a call, you kind of refine it. And then every weekend, Friday or Saturday, they alternate. You get on a call and you kind of like hold each other accountable. So if that's something you want to get down with, I'll shoot you the link. But like that's open to anybody. He actually came up with a, it's more than just a mastermind. There's like a protocol already set up for it. So, and you know, tech and all that, I, I like that. So everything was easy. You know, when you get busy, yeah. come back, finish your lesson and your your accountability and your goals and all that, come back in, they look at it, it's there, you go back to it. Pretty cool. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I definitely want to invite you to that. So you're going to hate me for this next question. Oh, maybe, no. Maybe. I know. It's not the I, ultimate yeah. question, but so if you had to, with a gun to your head, pick one charity as your favorite cause, oh, which one would you choose? You are the worst. I love you, but I, this is the worst. Okay. I'm going to, this is the one I would choose. The one that's closest to your heart, whatever. You yeah. got to have a good reason. Cause I know somebody's going to maybe see this and be like, damn, I wasn't number one. And you're going to be like, look, I, look at the reason though. And they kind of yeah, have to, this is the it's, it, listen, this, there's a words underneath here. I would still choose to this day, the cystic fibrosis foundation. And the reason is because that was the job that I got that spurred everything that I do from then on. It was the job that I got after I left the nonprofit world for a for-profit business and realized that I didn't like for-profit, I needed to go back into the nonprofit. It was an organization that took a flyer on me with not as much experience as I thought they would, I was going to need for it. I got to run regional walks, uh, million-dollar galas I got to, to work on. I got to talk with some of the most wonderfully high-capacity donors in the Twin Cities that I would have never gotten to meet in my entire life. And I met kids and young adults who had a life expectancy of 25, who through the amount of money that we raised, the amount of research that we did are now going to live longer than I am now. I still have friends and uh, colleagues in the field that have cystic fibrosis, are living with it, not dying from it anymore. I've seen the results of what we did from a fundraising standpoint 15 years ago that are now paying off in unbelievable amounts of, of these medical miracles that are happening in pill form that we thought was just a science fiction thing when we started fundraising for it. And it has always been and will always be sort of my number one nonprofit because they taught me about venture philanthropy. They taught me about how to fundraise more effectively. They taught me how to build relationships. They taught me how to work systems. And uh, I'll be forever grateful for the experience that I got to start a whole bunch of stuff and do amazing things. So it would be the one I had to choose. Don't like the question. All you other causes, step up your game. You can't yeah. you can't be his first love. <laughs> you have to come in, you have to come in with us with, with a sexy new attitude. If you yeah. want to get this, if you want to get that top spot, you better start curing some cancer out there. <laughs>
So what's your best piece of of life advice to other dad entrepreneurs right now? Trust your gut and it it sucks to do it sometimes. And even if it means you need to not, even if it means you need to fail to get there, or even if it's not what's going to get you there, trust your gut. Uh, And that means not taking a client. That means not taking a deal. That means not working as much or working more. There's a reason why you feel it. And I don't know what it is. And I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know if it's atomic. I don't know if it's otherworldly. I don't know if it's heavenly. I don't know what it is, but it's there for a reason. And whether you're a business person or a fundraiser or whatever it is, trust that you know what is supposed to happen. And number two would be buy a comfy couch. Yes. Oh, <laughs> a really comfortable, or at least a blanket, a weighted something, blanket to just weep in. With some memory foam and possibly <laughs> that microfiber to keep it from being too dirty and stinky. Yeah. When I tell that story, though, it's amazing about how many dad entrepreneurs that you tell that to. And they're like, yeah, I know. I hear you. And like nobody talks about it and they all do it. And it usually becomes I mean, because that's the thing that nobody teaches you. Isn't that there's nobody who gives you a roadmap and go, listen, your wife's going to be freaking pissed and she's not going to understand anything. And you want to tell them feels that you have. And then that there's that dad block that you say, no, 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 I got to be, I got to man up and be this and then do this. And and that is a hard, that's a hard deal to, to roll with. I I, I'm telling you, it sucks. And if you don't talk about it and you don't have a place to complain about or bitch and moan about, I mean, that is the worst. But here's the thing, right? Not for nothing, but you know how many people I've heard say, oh, that'll never happen to me because I don't oh. And then you just like, so you don't even talk. Like, you're just like, all right, dude, you think so. Watch what happens. Good luck, then- good luck with all that. <laughs> Here's my cell phone number. Call me when you're on the couch. You need a place to stay because that it happens. And I think that is, it's something that I think you go through and it's this, it's this wonderful learning experience for you internally. Like, what, what could I have done? you know, wrong. Even if you've got everything in the business right, there's always going to be something that you got to improve on. And there, you're, you're leaving behind. Like you said, like you're always going to drop a plate or two. And it sucks when the plate is the thing that you have valued most. And you you know, if you concentrate on that, you can't concentrate on this because you just don't have any hands to juggle them. And that's, fr- that's frustrating as all get out, isn't it? Yeah. There's nothing like a day where like you're just flowing and you're winning and you're in the zone. Oh. Everything works perfect. And you get home happy as a clam. It was one thing you forgot and it pissed your wife off, whether it was you left dishes from the morning in the sink or some other thing, pet peeve that she don't like. And your whole day just gets deflated by that one. Like, I just walked in the door. You know, I don't want to hear like, I just want to like bask in the glow of a successful, like I helped all these people. I might've saved, you know, saved somebody's life or whatever like that. Like, and I'm just happy. And, Boom, something so petty. And you're just like, oh, my God. God what is that about, that? too? <laughs> yeah. You know, conversely, though, and it's really one of those weird things. They'll do, like, one nice thing It'll, or say something or whatever. You're like, well, I'll be damned. And it doesn't matter how much of a crap day you have. Like, oh, well, his wife told me I look good today or whatever. I mean, it was just like one little bit. And you're like, okay. That is true. There's just way more of the what I said than there is of that well, that one. But I'll take those every day because like the time. wherever yeah. they come, <laughs> if diamonds grew above ground, they wouldn't be that valuable, right? So you got to take <laughs> you got to take a lot more coal than you get them diamonds, I guess. But oh um, my God, I'm gonna steal that. That's great. <laughs> How do you want to leave your mark in the world, my man? I know you want to do something. I mean, you're already doing it with all this, you know, fundraising. But is there some 
kind of secret unicorn weird like oh man if i could hit like say cystic fibrosis mm. man before i die i could like raise 100 million for cystic fibrosis and just not tell anybody and just do it like yeah. anything out there in, in your head that you're like i this is what i would love to see i would love to see the interesting thing about this covid world is that the amount of research and the roadmap on how to cure some of these diseases is going to be uh, light years ahead of where they were a year ago so you're seeing something like MS or you're seeing like type 2 diabetes are 35 years ahead of where they were from now, like uh, from a year ago. Like it's just dramatic. Like you're going to see this dramatic thing. So the amount of money that we raise is going to help. I think my my unicorn piece is how many of these small nonprofits have I helped in a way to either jumpstart or spark something that helps them get from, I don't know how to do this to, I can do this now. And I think it's less about the end result of how much money they've raised. I think it's how can I leave as many small positive marks as possible and, and just plant as many seeds of positivity that I possibly can in the nonprofit world. Because some of them are going to grow up to be unbelievable fundraising phenomenons. Some of them are not going to grow at all, but at least they got through whatever troubled time they did to call me and kind of walk through some terrible thing. And so it's not really about this audacious number. It's just how many of these small moments that I took time out of my day to, you know, take a phone call or answer an email or do a message or, or, or be on a podcast that somebody goes, God, that made sense. I'm going to apply that to my life kind of thing. Like that's, that's what I think about all the time is what Mark, I oddly think about, you know, what happens when I pass away or die or I, I'm, I'm gone. Like what are the people going to say about me? Did I meet, leave a positive mark on this world or I did I leave a negative one? Were my kids proud of me? You know, ultimately, uh, that's all I really care about. Like a picture in my head would be this forest of nonprofits that grew, whether they're yeah. little babies or whatever, and you don't have a number for it, but at least a small grove of these things. And you don't have, do you have a number? Like I have a number mm -hmm. in my head of some things and I just call it yeah. 100 because a hundred is easy for me to remember because yeah. Centeno is like stands for a hundred. So yeah, yeah. but uh, it, do you have a number or how about I just I don't, I don't have a number. And I think, I, I think I like that as uh, I don't, I, I never, cause I never want to stop. I don't want to get to a number and I want to stop. I, I want to continue to do it's, this forever. You know, it's not about stopping. It's like, it's like, um, the mileage on your car. You just kind of not want to know when you got to get an oil change or something. Like, <laughs> you've started one or you decided to give to somebody else or give to a charity or give to a nonprofit. I mean, like, it's interesting. I've never thought about that. First time I've ever been asked that question. I've never thought about it. I will give it thought. And then I'm going to send you a note back when I figure it out. Yes, please. Cause that that's interesting. Maybe not for you to track, but for someone else, because one day if you ever do something, you're so deep into it that you pick your head up and you're like, wow, every once in a while, you need the other people around you to pick up your head for you and be like, look, <laughs> like, look at what you did. And, you know, we're so deep in our work that we forget to do that sometimes. And yeah. somebody else should sometimes, you know, co-pilot and help us pay attention to the work we do because, you know, it, it, it seems like it'd just be a little bit more fun to every once in a while, you know, see the forest for the trees, so to speak, you know, <laughs> like, I guess that's, if we're going like with the technology. That's what we're rolling with tonight. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. My favorite dad joke. Why do ducks have tail feathers? I don't know why. To hide their butt quacks. <laughs> I'm using that one. Tell this to your daughter. See if she understands it. Yeah. Why did the mermaid change her sea seashells? Why? Because she needed bee shells. Oh, see, that's a good one. That's you won't, but I'm going to say it and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to say it in front of mom. 
That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to see if I can say that in front of the wife and see what the reaction is. I might have messed that up. I had a better version of that. I think I said it a little wrong, but it's, this, that was the gist of it. Yeah. <laughs> they were laughing about it. I was like, you shouldn't even know what that means. Stop laughing. No. Yeah. I like that. Stealing that All one too. All right, brother, man. I appreciate it. This was a fun time. Hey, all you entrepreneurs and dapreneurs. I just wanted to say thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the YouTube channel for past episodes. Show me some love on Facebook and Instagram. And if you really want to be a guest on my show, no problem. Just email the dadnextdoortv at gmail.com and we'll take care of you. All the information you need is on the show notes of this episode. This is Jason, a.k.a. The Dad Next Door, signing out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>